The business of culture, the culture of business, media and technology, markets, politics, startups, creatives, Hollywood, journalism. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather. They were each commanding between 15 to 30 million people a night watching those shows. And that's been cut more than a half in the last couple of decades. Collectively, the three shows bring in about 15 to 17 million people. And so with that, that translates to advertising dollars, right? If I'm buying an ad on your broadcast, depending on the size of your audience, the age of your audience, I pay you accordingly. You have advertising dollars diminishing on the broadcast nets. You have the sub fees diminishing, and you're still trying to figure out digital in a highly competitive environment. What does Fox News and CNN ejecting stars Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, respectively, on the very same day tell us about traditional television's broader decline? Are there new sanctuaries for the ejected? Stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salmon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is FullDRadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at handle FullDRadio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry Full Disclosure on your air. Joining me from the People's Republic of Brooklyn, Stan, is none other than Moshe Winunu. Again, back on the show, he was previously executive producer of CBS Evening News, which he was there until... Uh, Jumping off on his own in 2020, he's won an Emmy. He's been with Fox News, Bloomberg TV, where we cross paths. Now, you might know him as, I love how this was described, meet Instagram's favorite news concierge, as Brooklyn Magazine put it. Journalist Moshe Wanunu shares how he became a one-man news brand with Mo News. And I think you have something like 300,000 followers on Insta? We're getting there. We're at 340,000, I think, today, Robin. And I love, I mean, I followed you because you were a friendly voice, a companion, unobtrusive. But then I see during the fall of Afghanistan, you're covering this stuff in real time. And your feed suddenly on Insta, which I really don't go to for news, has become indispensable. Tell me how it happened, how you built it. Well, a lot of it comes from the mentoring you did with me in our Bloomberg days, Robin. Um, <laughs> yeah, bumping into you at the peanut butter machine. That's the extent of it. People right? should know if you work at Bloomberg, one of the perks is an incredible food court where you just have access to unlimited snacks. It's one of the best parts of working at Bloomberg. Because they don't want you leaving the building, let's be honest. Right. That's the strategy that Mayor Bloomberg has is like, how can I get these people to just work as much as possible? Robin, so I spent almost 15 years in network and cable news at Fox, at Bloomberg, at CBS, you mentioned. And honestly, took a break trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, started consulting, and then COVID happens. And like many people, find myself stuck in a living room. But it was the first time in my life that during a major breaking news story, I was not in a newsroom. And I found that very frustrating. And it's my way of processing the news is reporting the news. It's just, it's knee jerk to me. And I found it incredibly difficult as a consumer of news during that time to understand what was going on who to trust. Because you're very fortunate when you work in a newsroom, you just have an incredible amount of feeds coming in. You have reporters, you have emails coming in, especially at these major national organizations, right? At the ABCs, at the NPRs, at the Washington Post. Now I'm in my newsroom and I'm trying to consume it as a consumer. And I'm like, this prod, this sucks. And I'm getting questions from friends and family. And so I take to Instagram because I find it to be a friendlier place than Twitter for many reasons. And one of the few places left in social media where you can tell a story chronologically is the Instagram stories feature, where literally you click and then you get the next thing, the next thing, the next thing in the order that the creator intended it. Whereas most things in social media is algorithmic, right? They're feeding you stuff mm. out of order. So as a storyteller, I like the ability to tell a story in order. So I found, at least during those initial weeks of COVID, you know, guys, if you missed the Fauci briefing, this is what you need to know. If you missed the Cuomo briefing, this is what you need to know. There's interesting uh, coverage coming out of the Financial Times in paragraph 22, interesting context about what's happening in France right now, et cetera. And so I initially do this for friends and family. I have 500 people. What, just to stave off boredom or Correct. just because we were, we were inside, indoors? Stave off boredom, deal with my own anxiety, and be a resource to friends and family. 
It's a private account. My wife says, this would be incredibly helpful to the rest of the world. Go public, okay? And so suddenly 500 people join, another 1,000 people join, another 2,000 people join. Suddenly- By what? By word of mouth, by people sharing the stories? Exactly. Because I'm still trying to figure out Instagram, which is, after all, owned by Facebook Meta. Right. And as is WhatsApp. And there are various people, as you know, domestically, internationally- who depend on one for their news. A lot of people spread disinformation, my Iranian relatives included, over WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, ag- again, what was the tell that Instagram, I guess the virality, the fact that people were on it. And back in those early days, you know, you turn to CNN and it was the Cuomo brothers kind of riffing. Right. It was uh, feeds from the White House. You didn't know what did work. If I wanted news that you could use, whether, you know, the efficacy of masks or do I need to slather down my groceries and Purell. It was very hard. And Twitter was chaotic to find that. Twitter was chaotic. The uh, pandemic became politicized. Health news became politicized very quickly. I found a handful of resources that I thought were doing a really good job. Stat News being one, a health news site. The Financial Times, incidentally, had an incredible infographic reporter named uh, John Murdoch over there who was running the numbers and looking at it uh, analytically, which I thought was really good. And so I was trying to aggregate all of that for friends and family because I had the same frustration. And also, by the way, Robin, if you look at analysis of American news sources over the first year or two of COVID versus foreign news sources, American news sources were so overwhelmingly negative about this, the end of the world versus everyone else. They've run the numbers here. They've run uh, analysis of the words used. And we know why that is, right? Because ultimately, threatening every night that the world may end and everything might be the, the next you variant is the, the worst. Yeah, as you glued to the TV. As you glued to the TV. It's a marketing exercise. The BBC doesn't need to do that, right? Because they're funded differently. Anyway, so um, Instagram also, as a social media platform, was going through its own evolution. Listen, we just came this week was the anniversary of the creation of YouTube. The first video of YouTube was the co-founder's day at the zoo. Now, YouTube... They didn't intend it as a news, you know, video sharing site. It was intended for, you know, consumers. But YouTube evolved. Facebook starts in Mark Zuckerberg's dorm room. He's trying to meet women. It evolves into one of the largest news sources on earth. And you one see- One of the largest media companies on the planet. I mean, broadly. Exactly. Messaging, but social media virality. But at the same time, I bring up news because, again, the founder didn't intend it to be a news source, but it became that. So YouTube has become a news source. Facebook becomes a news source. Twitter, what is Dorsey tweeting about in those early days, Robin, when we were at Bloomberg? What he had for lunch, you know, random thoughts. And it becomes the place for all of journalism, right? All the journalists are on it. All the policymakers are on it. Instagram was the next one up. And for a while, Instagram is where you shared photos of sunsets and rainbows and whatever, avocado toast and whatever was going on in your life. And yet COVID was a turning point for Instagram to become a place for information. And it you know, was fortuitous timing because then BLM and that movement comes just a couple months later. And boom, boom, Instagram is now the place where people are discussing very serious things. And so it just turned out to be interesting timing there. So initially, this is to stave off boredom. I then find thousands of people following me looking for information. And in those early weeks, Robin, I start to hear from nurses who are following me being like, let me tell you about the mask shortage at my hospital. Then I hear from somebody who works in the supply chain being like, that message you shared from a nurse, can you put me in touch with her? Because I have a source in China that can get that hospital mask. And now I'm like, wow, this is a real great opportunity to not only cover the news, but also be able to connect people in a way that I was never able to do in the more traditional mediums. Are you thinking about selling out in any way and maybe showing uh, yourself trying a, a super spicy piece of pizza and rating it an eight out of 10? I mean, that's what I see a lot of the most recognizable people on Instagram, or, you know, how Kev eats or the guy with the baritone voice who is a, a person on the street who's recognized. I mean, or you think about Barstool Sports going to a pizza place, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I also associate you with the news as a kind of an entrepreneurial, I don't know or care if you're based in Brooklyn, you just have a great way of marshalling clips, marshalling facts, going on live when something happens, which we're going to get into the dual cataclysm at Fox News and CNN, that that Black Monday that they just had. You didn't have any editorial assistance doing this or people pulling up clips for you. It's just you, a microphone and your MacBook, ostensibly. Yeah, that's what it started as. I have since in the past six months started to bring people aboard. You know, listen, this started as an Instagram account. There was a moment in the summer of 2020 when Joe Jonas starts following me and promotes me to his followers. 
unbeknownst wow. to me, I didn't know Joe was following me. Instagram doesn't make it very easy to track down all your followers, at least the more. And, and there's a rumor of Paul Rudd bumping into you. We or bumped into Paul Rudd. I don't know that Paul follows me on Instagram, but it's because I we happen to be outside the same FedEx in Brooklyn. We actually fed him a croissant, which is a whole other story we can get into at some point. But then I found out, I was like, oh my God, we have A-list celebrities following us. Then Nick Jonas follows, right? And then Priyanka follows. And anyways, fascinating. And I'm like, okay, this is real. People like getting their news this way. How do we monetize this? How do we make this real? Because monetization is difficult when you're covering things like politics, abortion, international conflicts. You know, I'm not just a food influencer or a lifestyle influencer where I'm just going to bring you shiny, happy things. I'm bringing you things that not necessarily all advertisers want to be associated with. So that's something we're trying to figure out. So in the meantime, Robin, we launched the Mo News podcast last year. Uh, it became a daily. We launched a Mo Newsletter daily. So I'm trying to capture people and communicate to people and do what we're doing on Instagram on multiple platforms while continuing to grow sort of the top of the funnel, which is Instagram. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We're joined from Brooklyn by Moshe Winunu, former executive producer of the CBS Evening News. He's since gone off to start off Mo News, this social media news empire. You should really check it out on Instagram. The handle is M-O-S-H-E-H. I find that I consume a lot of my news through Mo News and through your very countenance, uh, which is fascinating to me. It's almost like this Max Hedrum type. I know you're young, but this is some character avatar from the 1980s. And now I associate you with breaking news, which I think underscores one of your central ideas and arguments, being such a veteran of linear TV and cable news, what with Bloomberg TV, CBS News, Fox News before that, this is a business in disarray. It's declining because of the decline of linear TV. And even while we were all homebound during the pandemic, fewer and fewer people were watching cable news and the evening news. And cord cutting is a way of life right now. And certainly you had to dabble when you were at CBS News with CBS News Digital Direct, which you know, is not linear TV. Right now, effectively, to step back from all this, it's up for grabs. It's completely open. If the primacy is the platform, you know, the iPhone, the tablet, the Roku, whatever device you're using, it's really the talent or the personalities or the, the sweat equity that can rise up. The issue we face as an industry right now, Robin, is no one has quite figured out digital. No one has figured out how to make the same money they were making on the linear traditional platforms and this goes across the sectors, in the digital sphere. And even like, look at the headlines of the past month, right? BuzzFeed News going down. Insider.com making additional cuts. Morning Brew making additional cuts. Uh, we can, we'll talk about the cable stuff in a second. But these were some of the success stories of the past decade in a media landscape littered uh, with upstarts that never quite made it. Um, these were the success stories. These are the ones we thought they know what they're doing. Well, well, the venture cap they had venture capital money, and maybe they looked puffier than they actually were. In the end, if you were dependent on online ad dollars, that stuff hasn't scaled well. We no. see that a willingness to pay, such as the New York Times' subscriber base, such as, you know, it's very hard for Spotify to rest a lot of audio upstarts. They might have gotten great valuations pre-money or post-money, but it's brutally hard to get the end user to pay for something a la carte. That's the thing is there's two ways to make money if you are a media company, subscribers, your customers, or advertisers. And everyone has kind of a different calculation. Are we 60-40 advertising subscription? Are we 90-10? Are we 80-20? There's been the, you know, there was the rise of Substack in the past couple of years. These are individual journalists who have left larger institutions to start their own brands, the Barry Weisses of the world, um, several others. But doesn't that hit up against login fatigue, where how many times can you have me substack someone? You're, right. You know, we broke up the cable. If I looked at my old $180 cable bill and I now smash it into pieces, this much for Spotify, this much for Netflix, maybe throw in a Hulu or Disney Plus for the kids. New York Times wants my money. You hit up against so much subscriber fatigue. There's the Amazon Prime thing. And now you're having all of these really great content creators and journalists trying to hit me up a la carte. Yep. Aren't we effectively building up the likes of Vox and others who can just go in and acquire, you know, they have platforms, they have stature, they have marketing apparatus. How, how is this working out in your head right now? Because you really stand out yeah. as a kind of a sole proprietor on Instagram, having been produced by Legacy News. I mean, honestly, Robin, it changes every quarter, right? If you, when we had our last conversation, when we spoke two years ago, this environment is moving so quickly and there's kind of the hot, 
strategy of the week, the hot strategy of the month that various companies are pursuing. But what you deal with, you know, we're talking about individual creators here. I mean, talk about the, the large companies, the CNNs of the world, right? You know, owned by David Zaslov, the Comcast of the world. I mean, huge companies, multi-billion dollar companies that are still kind of winging it when it comes to digital. You know, let's throw some things here. Let's throw some things there. You know, they're dealing with subscriber fatigue, right? They're dealing with the fact that they still can't charge for advertising what they get linearly. Describe that. The cable package, it's table stakes for as impaired as the brand is. No offense. I know you go on. I know you're friends with Chris Licht. CNN is, you can't have a cable package without CNN, just like you can't have it without ESPN. And so they get these carriage fees that are really mother's milk. And it's hard to self-disrupt out of that and say, all cable be damned, we're going straight to digital. Because again, it's a problem of dollars replaced by dimes. That's the thing. So when you, as a consumer, if you still have cable... If you have Verizon Fios or, you know, even if you have YouTube TV and you're paying a certain number of dollars a month, 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, whatever, that money, now view that money going to different networks. Like Fox can demand in order for Rupert to make all the Fox entities, the broadcast network, Fox News, Fox Business, etc. He says, I need five bucks a month for my channels or six bucks a month for my channels. So now the, Disney Disney extorts you as well with right. ESPN, which has had more primacy before, but e, ABC, ESPN, the various ESPN colleges and everything can take a chunk out of that pot. They take a chunk. So you're paying Fios 70 bucks a month. Fios is then paying Rupert Murdoch $6, is then paying Iger and the team at Disney $4 for ESPN, ABC, etc. And that's sort of how that has worked. And that sub fee, what they call it, the subscription fee model, has been the core. So that is how Fox brings in a billion dollars a year, right? That is how Comcast through, you know, we're going to make CNBC, you know, we're going to group together CNBC, USA, Bravo, et cetera, uh, and charge you a certain amount. CBS now has that through Paramount. They have MTV, Comedy Central, et cetera. Now, the cable companies are getting smart to this saying, as people cut the package, I can say bye-bye to some of your cable channels. They're not as vital as they once were. And so, okay, so now you're making less if you're Bob Iger at Disney, off of sub fees. There's a sort of existential crisis around ESPN. ESPN sort of being the last uh, bastion of why you would have live television because one of the core- Live sports. Sports is like the last reason left. Sports and news are the last reasons left to have a live TV package. Otherwise, you got Netflix, you got, you know, pick HBO Max, you got whatever you want. And even then, Amazon is forayed into NFL Thursday nights, right? They've dabbled in these things that they can theoretically pull off live sports. And- Maybe that's just a test pilot and the games are not nearly as premium as Monday night football or ESPN or Sunday night football, but it shows you where the future is headed and Amazon has so much money to spend. And these packages come up every few years. I mean, Robin, this might be the last time where CBS has AFC football and Fox has NFC football. When those packages come up again, you can imagine that they got new players in the game. By the way, Netflix has been flirting with live. It didn't work out so well for their last reality show live, but... You know, Netflix is like, we do live TV now. Okay, they're trying to build up that. So when we deal with this business dilemma here, you have these major media companies that have been making a lot of money off these cable sub fees. Their packages are gradually coming up for renewal. They're making less off those sub fees. In the meantime, they've launched these streaming platforms, which they're charging a certain subscription for, making a certain amount of money. But then at some point, growth is finite, right? Especially as a consumer, you're like, how can I subscribe to Peacock and Paramount Plus and HBO Max and Netflix and Disney and Hulu go on and on and on? So now they're competing. And so ultimately, what's left? You can increase what you charge people a month. You can then incorporate advertising, something Netflix says it, w- it was never going to do, but now they Which realize they're going to do it. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, you also have lost your ability to build a mass audience because the audience is so disparate. You know, like, I think we've talked about this before. 40 years ago, the evening newscasts of the networks, the ABC, you know, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather, they were each commanding between 15 to 30 million people a night watching those shows. And that's been cut more than in half in the last couple of decades. The best show, I think, is ABC World News. David Muir, gets around 7 million. Collectively, the three shows bring in about 15 to 17 million people. Individually, each of those shows used to get that a little over a decade ago. And so... With that, that translates to advertising dollars, right? If I'm Pfizer and I'm buying an ad on your on your uh, broadcast, well, depending on the size of your audience, the age of your audience, I pay you accordingly. So you have advertising dollars diminishing on the broadcast nets. You have the sub fees diminishing. 
and you're still trying to figure out digital in a highly competitive environment. So meanwhile, Fox News, which is the most lucrative cable news channel, from a demo perspective, what you guys call winning the demo, it's it's demographically hardly attractive. My understanding is that it's overwhelmingly 60-year-old people and above, a monolithic audience. You see- You're being kind at 60, Robin. Well, the my it's closer pillow, to 70. La- it's closer to 70. My pillow, my pillow, pharma, laxatives, yeah. uh, lawsuit things, and even the more radioactive stuff is we know that we wanted to get into this talk of Tucker Carlson being ejected Monday, their highest rated opinion host, if you will, on the same day that the opposite non-correlating asset, if you, you know, you followed investing, Don Lemon at CNN, you know, they could be in a knife fight. They both get ejected for various different reasons on the same day, which was like a black Monday for media. In addition to, was it the president of NBC Universal? Right. That was on Sunday. I mean, that got, that got eclipsed by this. You know, we say in Passover, what made this ejection different from all other ejections. Tucker Carlson, you would think that a network that had been feckless and had suffered the likes of Bill O'Reilly and other people in Lou Dobbs for years and years and years would let this pass. So let's take these separately. The Don Lemon thing shouldn't be surprising to those who follow this industry. He wasn't commanding a major audience. The show that he had joined, uh, the morning show, hasn't really been growing as much as they would have liked. At the same time, you have his kind of unforced errors on air, multiple mistakes, suspensions, misogynistic comments, right? Saying Nikki Haley's not in her prime. I Googled it. Women are in their primes in their 20s or 30s. Like, dude. And then you had a variety story that came out that basically suggested that this wasn't a one-off. This is a pattern of conduct over 20 years to female colleagues. So it was only a matter of time. Now, over on the Fox side, in talking to people that I know over there, there was complete shock, silence in the newsroom. They thought that that was never going to happen. It was so surprising that the network was still promoting, as of Monday morning, what Tucker was going to be doing that night. That is how closely held this was. That is how much of a shock it was. I mean, if you look at the announcement on Fox News, of uh, I think it was anchor Harris Faulkner announcing his departure, it was funereal. Like it was Ashen. Yes. Yeah. And so what happened there? He's the highest rated talent. He commands, just in relative terms, 3 million viewers a night, the highest rated personality in cable. He's the star. Now, there are a lot of advertisers, blue chip advertisers, that were not advertising on his show. And there's a subsequent piece, I think, in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday that goes into the fact- He wasn't as lucrative as he could have been by dint of the fact that he was py- he was, he was a bit of pyromaniac in terms of provocation. Correct. That- Blue chip brands, despite all the demography and everything, did not want to be associated with it. Right. Despite being the highest rated show on cable news, he wasn't making the money that the highest rated show on cable news should make because the advertisers that were willing to advertise with him aren't able to pay that amount of money. Now, what he was able to do was because he commanded that sort of ratings when Fox goes to the providers that we talked about earlier, Verizon, et cetera, they're like, you need to have Fox News on your system and you need to pay us. So he helped in that way. So it was split. Now, as far as their decision here, I mean, there's a lot of speculation going on, right? Was this Rupert? You know, the LA Times says this was Rupert. There's another report out from Axios that says this is Lachlan, the son, kind of commanding his authority here, that ultimately they had just paid out $787 million in settlement to Dominion. And, you know, yes, Fox has $4 billion cash on hand right now, and they can pay that sort of thing out. But how much of a liability is he? And there's this larger thing, Robin, which has been an issue at Fox for going on seven years now since the departure firing of Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes was the last real manager there that could manage the talent. Since then, the feeling internally there has been that the talent manage the executives. Now manage the talent or herd the cats, if you will, the wildcats. And, and the talent is responsive to the audience. And that's what you learned in the Dominion case, is that this rare scenario where it's not a news organization that is informing its audience of what's happening. It's a news organization that's informing its audience of what it wants to hear. Because they're fe- And it got, it got especially surreal during the Trump presidency because there would be an echo chamber. They knew that Trump could just call in at any time and they could make news in the absence of news or fill a vacuum. And that was just a powerful platform to plug into, Trump calling... Tucker Carlson or Maria Bartiromo, which, by the way, I used to do CNBC all the time with Maria Bartiromo back in the day at the turn of the century. I used to do Moneyline, CNN with Lou Dobbs. They were not at all polemicists. They were not political. 
but they took on completely different personas when they were Fox News personalities. Tucker wasn't that way when he was at CNN. Tucker wasn't that way when he was at at MSNBC. You know, he said he had two shows at other networks before he went to Fox, but it sort of evolved that way. Uh, And we've seen that uh, as the Republican Party has evolved in the last six years. Either way, I think there it'll be very interesting to watch if this is just a one-time thing or there's a larger reset happening at Fox News, especially given, again, the Kremlinology of Fox News is so fascinating, right? And for Succession fans out there who watch Succession, there are definitely parallels. It is crazy how closely this is tracking. I, I follow it every night. I'm on at 9.15 with the rest of the, oh, we can't call ourselves blue check marks anymore. <laughs> it's like coastal <laughs> elites. I yes. don't even know, you know. But it's amazing. It sounds like something like the fictional Rogan, Logan Roy would have done. Like, I need a blood sacrifice. Or in this case, the theory has, the theory is that Logan, a.k.a. Rupert, is about to go. Now you have Lachlan, the son, who's had a difficult go at it since managing things, a.k.a. Kendall. And one theory is, Robin, just for fun, that Lachlan knows, a.k.a. Kendall, that he's going to have to manage this place. And there will be knives out for him Mm -hmm. when Rupert passes. Whose support does he need? He needs Shiv and Roman a.k.a. James and Elizabeth, Elizabeth. his siblings. And it turns out that James and Elizabeth, politically speaking, are to the left of Lachlan. And one of the people they definitely have not been a fan of is Mr. Carlson. So is there a theory here that this is Lachlan showcasing, you know, to his siblings, hey, I need you to be with me when the day comes and I'm willing to do what it takes to keep my management role. Now, again, this is all theoretical here. It almost sounds here. like it's out of the Old Testament, Moshe. I don't, I don't, I mean, seriously, like blood sacrifice, prove your love to me, you know? Prove uh, your loyalty. <laughs> un, un, unfortunately, we also speak in, in this day and age, Robin, where the separation of church and state has, uh, there are questions about it these days. So maybe we are, you know, this is more biblical than, than we want it to be. But listen, there's a lot of factors here. So, you know, I see these simplified explanations online where they're like, well, Tucker gave a speech recently about religion and Rupert didn't like that. Or Tucker was critical of Pfizer and the vaccine. I was like, Tucker has been critical of the vaccine for of two everything. years. Well, yeah. like, you think Fox is caring about that? Splitting. No. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I think Megyn Kelly, former Fox talent, now independent, made a good point recently, which is this is not about Dominion because the people who are really making trouble for them on Dominion are still there. Judge Janine, Maria Bartiromo, et cetera. So there's a combination of factors here. And keep in mind, there's also the lawsuit related to Tucker and his conduct towards a female producer. Now, again, nothing new at Fox. They had this multiple times before. Well, they haven't even talked about the theme parks business yet. No, I kid, but hold that thought. (laughs) Full disclosure, stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers indeed, including and especially Apple Podcasts. The link is fulldradio.com. Fulldradio.com. We are on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever's left of it. Friendster. Uh, the handle is Full D Radio. And I got a plug coming up Thursday, May 18th in Charlottesville, Virginia at the historic Paramount Theater. Full Disclosure and Virginia Public Radio present Full Disclosure Live with Face the Nation host Margaret Brennan. It's our 50th anniversary special event. Margaret's been with Face the Nation for five years. I'll profile her on stage as the moderator of Face the Nation. The Paramount is gorgeous. I believe it's nearly, what, 90 years old? I can't believe it. But tickets are available on WVTF.org on the Paramount's website Thursday, May 18th on the mall in Charlottesville. In fact, during UVA graduation, 7.30 p.m. at the Paramount Theater, Radio IQ and Full Disclosure present Face the Nation host, Margaret Brennan. Please join us. If you are just joining us, my guest is the venerable and esteemed Moshe Winunu. He is the founder of Mo News, the phenom with hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. And in a recent past life, he was executive producer of the CBS Evening News. I crossed pads with him at Bloomberg Television. And he was also at Fox News back in the day. It is amazing that Fox News, if you think about the flavors of the year, it survived the de- departure of defenestration. Defenestration. You know, I love to use words I missed on the SAT. De- defenestration, death by defenestration, being thrown out a window, th- typically a window. only relevant in Putin's Russia these days. Well, we're trying to use it metaphorically. Yes. Please don't try this at home. But Megyn Kelly, Bill O'Reilly, people forget Glenn Beck was massive on Fox News. Yep. Lou Dobbs had his own corner. Fox continues almost like a diminishing annuity, like a typewriter factory. It continues. It lives to see a new day and it throws off a ton of cash. 
This is the thing about Fox. You can split its history into multiple epics, eras. There was, you know, in a matter of months in 1996, CNN goes from being the only news network to seeing in August of 96, MSNBC launch. They're trying to figure their act out. And October of that year, Fox News launches. And Fox spends a couple years trying to figure out what it is. It sort of finds its wheelhouse in the Monica Lewinsky scandal as a place to turn to for the hearings. That's uh, really giving Republicans more of a voice. And then 9-11 happens. They put the American flag on the corner. And from that point on, with a rare day or two in the past 22 years, Robin, Fox News is the number one network in America. And that's height of Bush, collapse of Bush. The collapse of Bush actually was a trouble for them. And it was interesting because I was there 05 to 09. I was there for the McCain-Obama election. I was actually assigned to John McCain. I was the reporter for Fox for a year on that campaign. And Roger Ailes, as president then, made it his goal to get McCain elected, to make sure Obama wouldn't become president. Lo and behold, the best thing that probably ever happened to Fox News ratings was President Obama, was Fox News as the opposition network to Obama. And there's that era. Then you get into sort of the uh, is Obama born in Africa era, the birther era of Fox. Which is really, let me say, the through line from that is you were covering McCain when a woman in the audience for candidate McCain said, because he's a Muslim, talking about Obama, and he stopped and corrected her. It was fast. And that was, that was taboo and radioactive for that period. But now it's for the person who, you know, Trump made a big name for himself post The Apprentice going on and being a birther in chief on Fox News and the other people that followed suit. We're in Minnesota in October of 2008. People forget this. Before the stock market collapsed in September of 2008, John McCain was leading Barack Obama coming out of the conventions. He had uh, selected this VP candidate named Sarah Palin. People loved her. I remember People loved was, her. People yeah. forget this. So many independent women were upset about Obama's defeat of Hillary Clinton and not choosing her as VP that they swung to McCain. Then the stock market collapse happens and people are just like, we're ready for a reset. We're ready for this new voice, et cetera. McCain campaign is on desperate legs. They have a campaign manager at the time named Steve Schmidt, who is a Republican, hardcore Republican. This is before he enters his next era, which we can get to at some point. And he has a whole strategy saying, create Obama as the outsider. He's a terrorist. Stress his middle name, Hussein, which Fox News did a lot. Barack Hussein Obama. And that got to the audience, right? You could already see the impact of the kind of conservative talkosphere on the audience. And then McCain gets a question in Minnesota that day from a woman who says, he's a Muslim and I'm scared of him. McCain says, we disagree, but don't be scared of him. He's a good citizen. Imagine a Republican candidate who's losing with a couple of weeks before the election, calling his opponent a good man, not to be scared of him in an age where we now just live in constant fear. At the time, Fox was going farther in uh, criticizing Obama than McCain would, because McCain said... I will not destroy the first black president that this country will likely see. And it was fascinating. And it really is a relic of a bygone era, despite the fact, Robin, that we lived through it and it was only about 15 years ago. And 2012 was also a relic of the bygone era. And Mitt Romney might have been kind of a last gasp candidacy for the perceived, you know, country club, socially moderate Republican. He was, after all, governor of Massachusetts. Wasn't that socially moderate? Wasn't that socially moderate? I mean, you're talking about a pro-life. I mean- in relative wasn't he, terms, wasn't he sure. marginally pro-choice as governor of Massachusetts? Well, yeah, he had to be governor of Massachusetts. You have to. That's be. the thing. But he was governor of Massachusetts, which right. is a dying art form. And of course, you know, you have the postmortem commissioned by GOP leading minds in 2012, which was ripped up. Yep. And by then, the Tea Party and the Freedom Movement had consumed the party. And Fox, as you explained, Fox News helped unleash that. Let's fast forward now to 2023. Rupert Murdoch is increasingly frail. If you read in that Vanity Fair profile. Um, you, you you flicked at his possible mortality and his children taking over the business. What does this signal kind of going out in terms of creative disruption with also the, the secular things going on and the economic things going on and the inexorable decline of linear TV and the poor demographics of this? It might be a cash cow right now, but where is it going to be for News Corp and that giant empire in 10 years if they don't, if they don't mix up something right now, the children? Well, I would say this. It's been working for them, Robin. I mean, they have this payout to Dominion, but they have a core loyal audience. I mean, you were talking about the demographic of the audience earlier, right? 
and I say the median viewer is 70. Half their viewers are over the age of 70, but it's worked. If you look at the amount of time people spend watching, the average Fox viewer watches for hours and hours a day. It's somewhere between three and five hours a day, Robin. The average CNN, MSNBC viewer, less than 15 minutes. But is there, an, is there a Fox viewer in the demo that watches anywhere near that? Right. So the demographic, the demo you speak of is 25 to 54-year-olds. That is the most coveted demographic traditionally by advertisers. If you look at the audience, let's take Tucker, for example, his demographic is less than a third, like as in two-thirds to nearly three-quarters of his audience is over the age of 54. Wow. So no, that's their issue. That's why they've launched Fox Nation and other digital entities to try to capture uh, the next generation, so to speak. Is there a life, you know, in the few minutes we have left with you, Mosh, for the people who were defenestrated? Defenestrated? Pronounce it for me. Defenestration. Defenestrated? For the defenestrated. Yes. Do they end up on News Nation? Or if you're on the right wing and the fringe, you are are straight to digital and there are people out there that can pay you out a lot of money. I'm thinking back in the day, in the heyday of FM, AM radios, Rush Limbaugh and others, Sean Hannity's made a ton on radio. Sure. There is still a lot to be mined in kind of this world of media disruption, as you know, as a purveyor of great news prolifically on Instagram. Is there another channel that can take them? I don't even know what's working out for Megyn Kelly or Bill O'Reilly. Doesn't Bill O'Reilly have a pod? I mean, I, I yeah. forgot what happens life so, after Fox, but there is so, life. So, so let's go through the various refugees. You mentioned News Nation. News Nation is a cable news startup out of Chicago, uh, started by Nexstar, uh, formerly WGN America. They've attempted to do a slightly center-right version, so sort of to the left of Fox, but to the right of the other cable nets. They've taken on names you might remember, like Chris Cuomo, Dan Abrams, Elizabeth Vargas, Ashley Banfield. All people that, you know, you might have seen on cable or network 10 years ago on other yeah. channels, uh, they're all over there. Now, they are they have a major ratings challenge, which is how do you launch a cable channel in the 2020s, given all the trend lines we've been talking about in this conversation. Then you have a strategy two, the independent model. So there you have Glenn Beck, who departed Fox to launch his own media empire. He doesn't have the influence he once did. I mean, Glenn Beck, where Glenn Beck was in 2010, 2011, is sort of where Tucker recently was. Not even Bill O'Reilly. I mean, Bill O'Reilly's out there. He claims that he was pushed out. Yeah. Bill O'Reilly this, Bill O'Reilly that. Guess where Bill O'Reilly was last week? Debating Chris Cuomo on News Nation, Robin. Then you have Megyn Kelly, who's launched her podcast, etc. You have a couple that have gone. Eric Bowling got pushed out at Fox. He's at Newsmax. So then you have the two networks to the right of Fox, Newsmax and One American News Network. And interestingly, they see a huge opportunity here because there's some people on the right who feel that Fox has done an injustice to Tucker Carlson. So maybe they can grab audience like they did sort of around January 6th. But that's it. But I think that given the personality, the the power of the personality, all these folks can go independent these days, but they'll never have the influence. You know, that's the thing that Fox gives you is the platform that being on a live cable channel and having a network that behind you, that is very difficult. We have not seen anyone quite achieve that independently. Aren't there some outlier examples right now? I mean, maybe a lot of your cohort and my cohort came of age listening to Howard Stern, but I say Joe Rogan has kind of supplanted that. Spotify brought him in. There are people that go straight to Joe Rogan right now. Isn't it possible, especially as we see linear TV continue to decline, that something is going to kind of step out as the way to do this? There's going to be another aggregator of this orphaned talent. I mean, for example, could you have Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson tag team on News Nation or whatever it is? If you're a free agent at this point and, and it's a chance to get press and the clip is then uh, excerpted for social media, whatever's left of social media. Listen, I, I think that now you live in a world where some of the most influential interviews are done. Yes, Howard Stern, uh, Joe Rogan, Dak Shepard, right? Dak Podcasters. Shepherd, yeah. Podcasters. These are, by the way, these folks are making tens of millions of dollars. They're in the eight to nine figure range. Even look yeah. at the the uh, strategist for Obama, the Pod Save America guys, Tommy Vitor and John Favreau and that crew and what they've created. So there is the opportunity to go independent and create somewhat of a powerhouse that's both lucrative and influential. I mean, even the Pad Save America folks, they made it their agenda to get Dianne Feinstein out of the Judiciary Committee. They had an impact, you know? And so these people can still have influence. Uh, Tucker can certainly have influence. I think Tucker could be up there with Joe Rogan potentially. If, and I'm sure he sees that opportunity. And he is an entrepreneur. You know, he did uh, invest, you know, he was one of the co-creators of Daily Caller 
more than a decade ago before uh, divesting of it. So I think he has a lot of places to go. There are a lot of people probably calling him right now. I think once he gets the legal stuff out of the way with Fox, I'd be surprised if he goes and has another boss again. I think Tucker at this point, mid-50s, developing the audience that he does, it makes sense for him to go independent. And then, of course, the people who speculate that he has political ambitions as well, Robin. Close us out, Moshe. What's going to happen to CNN? It's now under this Warner Brothers Discovery thing. They have not, you know, CNN Plus was aborted right out of the gate when the Warner Brothers Discovery merger happened. Uh, They have shown no real ability to successfully charge people for digital news on demand. They're still really wedded to the cable revenue that comes in. What kind of role does it play in the grand scheme of this, this struggling broader empire, which has Max? It's not even HBO Max now. Well, CNN, let's parse it out, right? CNN still is a Kleenex for news. You go around the world and you ask people like what they know about name American brands, CNN is up there. Something major happens in the world. Something's on fire. There's still idea. this idea you turn on CNN. CNN is the largest digital news brand in the world when you look at like their clicks, et cetera. So there is that. How do they max out and monetize that and adapt what they're doing digitally for how people are consuming things on social media. I think they're still figuring that out. Then we have what you mentioned, which is the linear feed, the traditional CNN feed. I turn on four o'clock and I get this show. I get Wolf Blitzer, I get Jake Tapper, I get Anderson Cooper, I get whatever. And while that world exists, they need to continue to figure out how to max out on that world in terms of viewership, in terms of advertising dollars. Basically, wean what they can while this world exists. I think the new management team at CNN realized that they had a lot of financial things they had to get in order. They had to do some cuts. There was a lot of overspending in the previous regime. And they've been trying to figure that out while also recalibrating the editorial. That CNN sort of became MSNBC2 on the left during the Trump era. And they're literally trying to recenter the network. And so they have the business challenge, the editorial challenge. The editorial challenge is inherent in the branding challenge to the audience. Hey, audience, we're down the middle again. Mm. Well, prove it to me. While also, to your point, okay, abandoning CNN Plus for financial issues, et cetera, what is their eventual digital plan for when we all leave cable at some point? How does that live? How do you make that lucrative? And what personalities do you invest in around that? Because the personality thing I think is so interesting, and this is something that takes us back to the Instagram thing, Robin. The world is no longer, the audience is no longer just wedded to a brand, a three-letter network, CBS, ABC, et cetera. It's about personalities. It's about Joe Rogan. It's about... Dak Shepard. It's about Tucker Carlson. It's about Rachel Maddow. I mean, look how much MSNBC is spending on Rachel Maddow. $30 million a year for her to go on once a week and do some digital Mm. stuff. That is how much personalities matter in this day and age. And I think for CNN, that's one of their big challenges. As we speak, a couple of days ago, they announced a new show with Charles Barkley and Gail King. Household names. King Charles, they're going to call it, right? King Charles, well-named. They're going to be on once a week on Wednesday nights. But that's what you need to be doing. And then where how are they looking at digital talent? You know, the people out there who have 10 million TikTok followers or 50 million TikTok followers, et cetera, and leveraging that. But I think the idea that you can then bring them to linear television and convince those TikTok followers to come to linear, we know that's not going to happen. I got to ask you, in terms of, you know, Chris Lick being a CBS News veteran and uh, Gail King being shared between CNN and CBS and also Anderson Cooper and the various 60 Minutes cross-pollination. Right. Sanjay Gupta has been one, too. Could they merge CNN and CBS News? Robin, you followed this game long enough to know that in the past 20 years, CNN was going to buy CBS, CBS was going to buy CNN, CNN was going to buy CBS. Basically, if you've been watching the two of them over the course of the past two decades, literally one was bigger than the other, then the other one was bigger, then the other one was bigger. This is now a 20 plus year saga of who buys who. Does David Zasloff realize that at Warner Media, he'd much rather just you know live with his Discovery brand, HBO brand? and like not have to deal with the stress and chaos of CNN. Yeah, he has a lot of debt to pay down, but also Paramount, the parent of CBS, is quite impaired and it's not getting as much momentum. Right. And so a couple of years ago when I was at CBS, there was active talk. There were active discussions in the C-suite, this is the Moonves era, about purchasing CNN. At this point in time, all Sherry Redstone, uh, who owns Paramount, wants to do is sell. And she's had a lot of trouble selling Paramount, which includes CBS. So people have talked about like now it's CBS News is for sale or entities of CBS are for sale. You know, there's various bids being made on BET and VH1, all, you know, all the various properties of Paramount. So who is the future owner of CNN and CBS News? Will they be owned by the same people in, five, in the next five years? Good question. Moshe Winunu, the 
mastermind behind Mo News on Instagram. I mean, it's at handle M-O-S-H-E-H, correct? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, follow me over there. Uh, and I have a daily news podcast, the Mo News Podcast, where we break down dozen or so headlines every day. So please check that out as well. You are a renegade of funk. You are disrupting digital where the big old giants are incapable or unwilling to. So uh, yeah, I have to step out of my act and say that congratulations, Mazel tov. You're pulling it off. Even if you did this by accident, <laughs> you are a recognizable personality on Instagram, sir. Robin, I, I so appreciate your kind words. I appreciate your friendship. And uh, I uh, listen, I think that we're all just trying to figure out this digital media landscape. But what I love about it is our ability to connect, be closer to the audience in a way that I never felt before. Even when I was running a show at CBS with 6 million people a night, I would hear from a handful of people. And yet on Instagram or on the podcast, I feel much more well connected to the audience, the issues they care about. And I think that is so cool. Send my love to the Jonas twins, please. Jonas, they, there's three of them. There's three of <laughs> there's them in the group. Them, the Actually, there's four of them total, three of them in the brothers. Full disclosure, do stay with us. I wanted to close out this program on the TV news biz with a flashback to some of my 2020 interview with Soledad O'Brien. You'll remember her as a veteran CNN and NBC News personality. Well, she's now successfully reinvented as an independent host, producer, and showrunner. What is inspiring to me is you have this massive following on social media and on Twitter, and you didn't fade after you left CNN. What was it in, in 2013? If anything, your voice has been amplified as a kind of an untethered independent. You can call out BS on CNN, at the New York Times, in mainstream media, on right-wing media, and not have to worry about, like, like I believe you said to Rolling Stone, you don't care if they don't book you on Meet the Press. Yeah, that's a very freeing thing. And some of that is uh, being self-employed. And some of that is being 53 years old, where you're like, no, I'm good. Really do not need to come in on the weekend uh, and do hair and makeup. And and really, you know, that there are other platforms to be had. It's one of the things I do like about social media is that you don't need to tailor your message. You can say, this is what I have to say. And for people who are interested in hearing it, then great. And people who don't, also great. No worries. I like to use these metaphors. I mean, I think it, it helps our, our listeners imagine your scenario. Did you go out and talk to various producers and mentors? I know that it's been a revolving door over there, but at the same time, it's terrifying to step away from a big flagship, which can cross-subsidize various things. You might be able to take several weeks to do a longer doc project or a couple of months, but now you're out on your own and you're pounding the pavement at a time when the business model of this entire industry is significantly in question. And moreover, they're, they're cord cutters. Yes, everybody has moved consumption, the bulk of it, to online, but you know you're trading dollars for, for pennies and nickels there. Yeah, it didn't really work like that for me. Um, I much more felt like the, the, what I wanted to do, I wasn't going to be able to do there. And so it was made very clear to me that I could stay. They asked me to stay, but that they were like, meh, you know, we don't dislike you. We just don't love you. And I've, I've sort of never been the person who wants to stay in a place where your bosses don't have a vision for your success. Uh, I felt like I had had a lot of success. We had done, a, I think I did 50, almost 50 docs when I was at CNN. And... Um, and so it felt like, well, I think that there's a viable business model. And I sat down with my husband uh, and we would sit down and be like, you know, is there a model where you yourself could go and do the things you want to do? Could you build a business off of the work that you've done and the quality of your reporting? That was really the question. It wasn't a vision quest. It was, it was the same question I had years ago when I left KRON TV in San Francisco, mostly because I had a boss who was kind of like, you're fine. And if you want to stay, you can stay. But I don't think you should learn how to anchor. I don't really see a big role for you, but you're fine. Like you are a perfectly fine employee. Well, who wants to work in a place where people are like, you're, you'll do. <laughs> so I, I think I've always been a little pigheaded on that front of, you know, sure, it might come down to me one day being in a place where people are just tolerating me and I take my check every two weeks and, you know, we all just kind of slide in and out of the door, but that sounds terrible. That really does not sound like what I thought I could do. And also, I made a ton of money at CNN, and I saved a ton of money when I was at CNN. So I mm. knew I could start, at least at the beginning, I had the finances to be able to build a company. Like, I could go and rent space in New York City, which is expensive. I could hire people mm. right away. 
And in fact, CNN became my first client. Uh, my exit deal made them invest in a bunch of projects that I was doing. So, Ooh. yeah, it's kind of a good deal. So, and I took my library with me, which I thought I'd be able to monetize. So, you know, I think it was that. It was like, is this other option as good or a better option than just staying in a place where people are like, you can stay. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's the same advice I'd give my kids. Like if your boss isn't psyched about having you and isn't like, I see a vision where in five years, you know what I want you to be doing? Then why would, you know, they, they don't feel that way. Why would you want to stay? And the answer might be, you know, sometimes you have to. Sometimes it's like, yep, this is what you're going to do. You've tried other things. It didn't work. You know, what you realize and what's really changed in the last five years for me, when I started, people would say things like, oh, that's such a great story. It's so earnest. A lot of journalism was earnest, right? And earnest was deadly. If someone in media was telling you your story was earnest, it was a very, very, very nice way of saying they hated it. And what I found was over the last five years, suddenly earnest became a plus, right? Like, um, mm. what was that show that was done on Lifetime about R. Kelly? Um, it was a really remarkable series that they did on Life. You know, that's the height of earnestness. A bunch of women of color who find their voice to say that a superstar has attacked them, is keeping them hostage. I mean, it's crazy. And so that's really changed. So a lot of the things that we were pitching and doing early on that I think people didn't love over the last five years have become very interesting because people actually do care about them. They care about race and class and lack of and poverty and projects we've been working on for a long time that I think used to be the purview of news that no longer are. So my whole thing was never, you know, my Soledad's vision quest. I have four kids. You don't get to have a vision quest. <laughs> my husband would be like a vision quest. All right, kill, kill that kill that metaphor. I should have said I exploratory know, committee. You, but it's, vision quest sounds so amazing, <laughs> but it's, it's, it was never that. It was like, here's what I do well. Can I monetize it? Can I turn that into a business? And people I asked were kind of like, yeah, I think you can. You have a big enough name and the key is going to be be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. And our biggest challenges early on, doing everything non-exclusively. You know, because a lot of people were like, well, we want to hire you exclusively. I'm like, I'm just not exclusive. So if you want to hire me and it has to be exclusive, I have to say no. And that was, you know, that was probably the hardest thing. And that was a really good fight to have because we ended up having lots of clients and lots of different projects and kind of created a, a company that had a dynamic of four verticals, journalism and documentaries. We do some branded within the company itself and also what I would call talent. So stuff that I wasn't necessarily producing, but I got to be talent on. Wait, so you tell me you can become my agent? <laughs> I can hook you up with a good agent. <laughs> but, but you know, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you could say, you could run around and say, yes, I could. If someone was looking for somebody, sure, why not? Why could I not be your agent and get you the terms? The thing that I have really learned that I've loved about running my own company, when you work for somebody, all that's on the table is, so they want to pay you $5, your agent will say, but I can get them to 550. And they want to give you three weeks of vacation, I can get them to four. That's usually all you get. I remember when I discovered that Larry King had access to the Time Warner jet. I'm like, the jet? Who knew the jet was a, <laughs> was a thing you could negotiate? Oh. I've been missing out all these years. But what I really, what you realize when you run your own thing is those don't have to be the parameters. What do you want? Mm. You know, so you go into people and you're like, well, what do you need? And sometimes they'll say, well, I need to be able to also work on this podcast. Or I have a kid and every Friday afternoon I need to be able to leave at noon because she's in ballet camp. You know, and you're like, okay, we can make this work. It's been so interesting to figure out the deals to be done. I, I, it's, it's one of the most exciting things I do. So I've really, really enjoyed it. For my part, I need a quality hookup to four-ply Cottonelle, which is very hard to get your on right <laughs> I now. can hook uh, you up. I digress. Listen, <laughs> I can hook you up. Here's why. I have four kids, so we have always bought in bulk. So when, when this whole thing happened, I literally had a ton of toilet paper in my closet because I have four kids. So I just packed it all up and left town with all my boxes of toilet paper. And I've been shipping it to people, my friends. So if you need toilet paper, you, you heard you heard it here. You heard it here first. Full disclosure. Well, I can send you a roll or two. I can hook you up. But you know, we've always bought that toilet paper and then also cleaning supplies, we've always bought in bulk over the years. So uh, so we were kind of good for that. 
Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Soledad O'Brien, a veteran journalist. You recognize her from anchoring at CNN, from NBC News, MSNBC. I think I remember you with some sort of robotic avatar oh in the gosh, late 90s the on MSNBC. Yes, 96 when MSNBC It was like a Max, Max Hedrum type, exactly. Max Hedrum that type character Leo, where it was... Leo Laporte was the, was the guy. But that was a great example. And people example. forget that it was it was conceived as the Microsoft NBC network. The MS is Microsoft, and they Microsoft used to own Slate and everything. It was a different time. It really was. And, you know, it's so funny. People used to say, you know, how much of your direction are you getting from Bill Gates? And I'm like, literally none. We can't get him on the phone. We'd love to get Bill Gates on our show. We cannot get him on our show. Um, but no, you know, it, but that's a really interesting example because I had been working in local news, so at Carowin TV, which I mentioned, and when something else came along, it was like, okay, this is weird. And I don't know a lot about technology. I'd done a lot in science and medicine, but I jumped because it felt like an opportunity to grow and build a skill set and try something different. And I got to be me, right? I didn't have to pretend to be, oh, I'm Soledad O'Brien. I know everything about tech. I was like, I'm Soledad O'Brien, relatively smart person. And I don't understand this thing about tech. Can you guys explain it? And I think that that was, again, a turn in my career where people thought I was crazy. Like, why would you leave to go to this thing that no one had ever heard of? Because it was launching. And it just seemed to me like build skills. I have to ask you, where did you get the inception of your courage? I understand that you were a pre-med at, at, at Harvard, Radcliffe, and you decided to leave early to go into TV news? Yeah, well, I, I mean, leave early is a nice way to put it. I kind of dropped out because I decided not to go to med school. My sister and I were taking classes together. She's a surgeon now, and I'm not. And, uh, and part of the reason was, I remember she said to me once, like, you're just not passionate about this. You have to memorize everything. And I used to have a very good memory. And in, meds, in, in pre-med stuff, it's a lot of it is just committing stuff to memory. And I just remember thinking, like, she's right. I just, I don't really want to understand the science, but I'm pretty good at regurgitating it. And it was a very big crisis of like, oh, God, what am I going to do? My whole life I'd been planning to go to med school. And uh, I, I dropped out of school and I started working at a TV station. How did you tell your parents? I don't. Can you go back and fill me in on this? Is yeah. this the mid 80s? Uh, it was 87, 86, probably 86, 87. Yeah. You know, actually, I think they were fine with it because what I told them, I told them that I was going to I didn't want to go to med school and, and they were fine with that. I think that that. That was never a big issue for them. But they weren't the kind of parents that you could sit on the couch and like eat Cheetos. So in the same breath, I told them that I'd gotten a job working at a TV station. So it wasn't like, I'm going to sit here and try to figure it out. It was much more like, listen, I think I got to figure out what I want to do. It's not going to be med school. I got a job working at a TV station. So it was like, okay, well, you know, that'll be okay. Then you're, you're working and doing something. And I, I knew I was going to go back. And I think they knew I was going to go back. Um, the problem I had at the risk of sounding like I'm bragging on myself was I, I, I was successful. And so it was not easy to go back because I kept getting jobs. And again, the early jobs in TV are like fetching coffee, answering phones, running scripts, removing staples from walls. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not operating on people or something. But I, so I never really thought of it as, as bravery or courage to do something I left a job where a boss made it very clear that he thought I was average for him. And I, not that I thought I was a superstar, but I just have never liked, I never want to be part of a team where everybody's okay with meh. <laughs> just, it's just not inspiring. And I don't like- You're talking about leaving CNN. I'm not. I'm talking about leaving Cron to go to start- Cron. To go to MSNBC. But even- Leaving med school, like same thing, or leaving the idea of finishing up to go to med school. Like, why would you want to go do a thing that you're clearly not passionate about? I was always very grateful that I identified it kind of early. And really, my sister did for me because we were taking organic chemistry together. Yeah, organic chemistry seems to be the filter where people have that quarter-life crisis and say, what the heck am I doing? I mean, if it doesn't hit you in high school, then it hits you by the, the second or third year of college. But I will say this, that even then in college, the groupthink persists. I mean, a lot of people funnel into law school because they don't know what else to do. A lot of people funnel into investment banking jobs like I did, which was wretched, yeah. which was miserable. But what are you supposed to do, right? Yeah. There's all of this pressure that I, if I could talk to my 21, 22-year-old self and, and say, look, I mean, Farzad, you don't have to kill yourself. Um, 
all of these various beautiful women around the world want to meet you. You shouldn't be holed up in an office, putting pitch books together, working <laughs> under an investment bank. I just tried to crack a joke. I didn't get a laugh anymore. You, but I anyway, did laugh. Uh, you didn't hear me. Listen. No, no, you, you cried on my behalf. But then that group <laughs> think persisted well into my 30s and Soledad until I had my child, my son. I didn't appreciate how fully I had to have more than a modicum of passion when I left every morning to go and do what I did. And that was the turning point for me. So I envy the fact that you had it, what, halfway through Harvard? I didn't. I just knew that I didn't have the passion, actually. I really realized, like, oh, she's right. I just am faking it. And I am a good memorizer. And I can, I can give you the structure of every molecule. And that will get me through what I need to get through. But I actually am not interested enough to be able to tell you why this formula is what it is. She could tell you why this formula had to be what it was because she mm. cared about understanding the formula. I was just like, hey, on this quiz, all you need to know is the formula and stuff some numbers in. And that's the difference between people who are really passionate and understand and, and are scientists, right? And other people who are like, oh, I can get this done. I can do well on this test. So I think knowing what I didn't want to do probably was the first key thing. And then I happened to, in the, I went through the, Harvard has a book called The Harvard Guide to Careers, actually, <laughs> they used to. And I went through, and I'm like, okay, I can't be an investment banker. That would be a disaster. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I thought maybe advertising, although I wasn't that interested in pitching products. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should try working at a TV station. And so I applied and I got a job, an uh, entry-level job. But I loved it. I loved it. That was some of my 2020 episode, Earnestly, Soledad O'Brien. You can catch the whole episode on NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link, please subscribe, please follow, is fulldradio.com. And I would appreciate your recommendation. Full disclosure, special thanks to Claire Morgan at Notterly. A shout out to our listeners on NPR, member station WVTF, Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station, celebrating its 50th anniversary. Speaking of which, do not forget to join us Thursday, May 18th at Charlottesville's historic Paramount Theater for a special Full Disclosure Live. CBS Face the Nation's Margaret Brennan joins me on stage. Tickets are at the Paramount's website, on my Twitter, and of course at WVTF.org. And do not forget to catch me every week on both MSNBC and NPR's Here and Now. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening. Back with you next week.